today on Ag News Daily. I mean, Kentucky just has a really good calf crop because the same reason we have good racehorses. There's a lot of limestone in the ground here. Happy Halloween, everyone. It's spooky season here on the Ag News Daily Podcast. My name is Delaney Howell, and I'm going to be doing things solo on today's Halloween episode. Mike is in the field still today and couldn't break away, so I guess I'll be doing it alone. I looked up some fun Halloween trivia because I think Halloween is a fun is a fun um fun holiday, especially if you got little kiddos that get to dress up and stuff. And I am going to go through some fun Halloween trivia for you all. It's not really necessarily related to ag. However, I saw this picture on, I can't remember if it was on Twitter or Instagram, and it said, fun fact, Halloween or uh, candy corn was actually created so that if you stacked it up in a round circle, it looks like an ear of corn. I never knew that before. It's a pretty cool picture. I think you could probably Google it and find it for yourself, but had zero idea. Candy corn was originally called chicken feed. That's a fun fact for you guys today. At the turn of the century is when it when they decided to call it candy corn. Um, and it was originally created in 1880. The Halloween holiday is actually more Irish than St. Patrick's Day. Halloween originated from a Celtic festival for the dead called Samhain or Samhain. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that Gaelic correctly. But Celts used to believe that ghosts of the dead roamed the earth on Halloween Day. So people would dress up in costumes and leave out treats on their front doors to appease the roaming spirits. So that was, uh, granted it wasn't only based in Ireland, but that was apparently the big start. And they also invented the jack-o'-lantern, which if you want to see the world's largest jack-o'-lantern collection which totals 30,581 jack-o'-lanterns. According to the Guinness Book of World Records, that's the highest number of lit jack-o'-lanterns on display in the city of Keene, New Hampshire, and that was in 2013. That's the biggest attempt that they've had so far. So, let's see a couple of other fun facts, because I like scary movies, and I know that... uh, the Halloween movie that just came out, I saw it last week with Michael Myers. It's a series of classic horror movies. The first one coming out in 1978. Here's a fun fact for you. So Michael Myers, the main psychopath in the Halloween movies, his mask, his iconic pale-faced mask that he wears throughout all the movies is definitely kind of an icon of these movies. And this film was apparently on such a tight budget when they first put that one together in 1978, that the crew used the cheapest mask they could find, which was a $2 Star Trek William Shatner mask. And all they did was spray paint it white and they reshaped the eye holes. So that's kind of fun that that mask has definitely taken shape as being kind of the icon of the Michael Myers movies. So those are just some fun Halloween facts for you guys today. Hope everybody has a great Halloween either with trick-or-treaters or or your own kids. I will not be trick-or-treating. I think that 24 is probably too old for that, but I definitely would go if somebody invited me to go trick-or-treating. But 
we've definitely got some news today we need to discuss. I don't have any spooky news for you, but we do have a little bit of news here about E15. We saw a group here of more than a dozen environmental and conservation groups file a petition just yesterday on Tuesday alleging that the EPA is illegally looking over or looking the other way as farmers plow over prairies and wetlands. So basically back in 2007 there were a group of I'm not going to say hippie groups, but some of them include the Sierra Club and the National Wildlife Federation and a couple other organizations, basically came together and asked the EPA to force biofuel producers or people that grow corn and crops used for biofuels, including soybeans and biodiesel, that they could only use lands cultivated before December 19th of 2007. So under this protection, I guess it's a law, um, Producers basically can't cultivate any ground that wasn't cultivated originally in 2007. So if you have like swamp ground or conservation ground or anything like that, if you didn't cultivate it before December of 2007, you're technically not supposed to grow anything that could be used for biofuel purposes. Their thought process was that producers were just turning ground into, were turning non-farmable ground into a way to grow biofuel stocks. So in a petition filed just yesterday, the groups asked the EPA to end its policy of calculating total farmland used to grow feedstocks and instead require farmers producing biofuel feed to prove that they're using land that was farmed in 2007. So I assume through either FSA records or production records or something like that. But uh, Renewable Fuels Association CEO Jeff Cooper said that there's, quote, absolutely no legitimacy to assertions that prairie has been converted to farmland to support the RFS. So I don't think President Trump has issued a statement on this yet. I don't know. It seems a little bit, a uh, little bit pretty far left winged, maybe, from some of these um, groups out there. But that is uh, definitely something that's coming down the pipeline. Could, I don't think that. It'll be anything anytime soon, but something to watch out there for producers if you have um, unintentionally converted acres into production that were uh, not, not produced before 2007. In other uh, power-related news, Illinois is set to become the Midwest's solar power leader. Illinois is currently experiencing or in the middle of a boom in solar energy power. And that comes from largely from the state's Future Energy Jobs Act, which was a 2016 law that set targets of getting 25% of electricity from renewable sources by 2025. This was uh, this legislature was approved in December of 2016, and at the end of the second quarter of 2018, Illinois ranked 34th, which was up 43rd in 2017 in solar capacity. So the state has only 97.84 megawatts of installed solar power, but they're definitely making waves, it sounds like, to get some more solar power put in place. And also with that, they're also uh, creating quite a few jobs. And it looks like over the next five years, Illinois is projected to add 1,857 megawatts of solar capacity, which is, an, which is a 1,898% increase 
over what they have today. That's a huge move. It'll be interesting to see if they can actually get that done or not. Another thing that's going to be interesting to see if lawmakers can get done or not is the ELD mandate, or in this case, an ELD exemption. 59 House members, I think from both sides of the aisle, both Republicans and Democrats, led by Florida GOP veteran, veterinarian Ted Yoho and House Agriculture Committee Colin Peterson, are calling upon the Federal Motor Carrier Safety Administration to provide waivers from its hours of service rule for livestock haulers. So if you remember back to a little bit earlier this month, livestock organizations, including the NCBA and PPC and a couple others, petitioned the agency to give them exemptions for uh, their livestock haulers, which of course restricts truck drivers from driving um, over 11 hours and limits on-duty hours to 14. And now we've got lawmakers that are also stepping up and saying that these restrictions these restrictive drive time limits and extended mandatory stops are not manageable for livestock haulers transporting live animals, especially when considering animal health and safety. That's what some of these, what that's what 59 of these House members wrote into the FMCSA just earlier this week. So, hopefully, seeing some move there for livestock haulers. I can't remember thinking back to the timeline when that ends when that exemption ends but it's definitely coming down the pipeline I think it was sometime this spring is when that next exemption runs out so it looks like they're trying to find a more permanent solution if Mike were here he would definitely go off on a tangent about this but thankfully he is not so I get to present it to you today the National Milk Producers Federation released polling data that the group says backs up the argument that consumers are confused about the nutritional value and the ingredients of plant-based beverages like almond milk. So according to their latest survey, or excuse me, according to an Ipsos survey, 73% of consumers believe that almond-based drinks have as much or more protein than milk. And 53% of consumers believe that plant-based drinks are labeled milk because their nutritional profile is similar to the dairy version. So that's a little interesting. I don't think that those are actually anywhere close to being the same. But the FDA is answering this concern. On Tuesday, they announced plans, the Food and Drug Administration announced plans to clarify and also speed up the regulatory process for new gene-edited traits for both plants and animals such as almonds, milk, cultured meat, etc. And in its new Plant and Animal Biotechnology Innovation Action Plan, the agency declared broadly that it will, quote, clarify our science and risk-based approach for product developers, avoid unnecessary barriers to future innovations in plant and animal biotechnology, and advance safety and public and our public health mission, end quote. So a couple of things coming up on the timeline here. They've got a webinar here, it looks like on December 3rd, they are meeting again to put together some comprehensive policy framework, and they said they're gonna move fast on this, but as we know, not a lot happens quickly in DC, so we'll see what kind of timeline they actually come up with here. Something that is going very quickly though is the spread of African swine fever. Over the weekend, we saw a couple more cases develop here. I believe 99 pigs were killed, 106 
106 were sick out of a 7,684 head hog in the Hunan province. So that was one that already had had an outbreak. Um, but this is also a pretty big herd, 7,684 pigs is a, another larger commercial sized operation. We also have seen Chinese officials lift the African swine fever related restrictions in the northeastern Jilin province on Wednesday and that's starting November 1st. They said the, the government said that they still plan to monitor the outbreak but I think it's crazy that if we're still continuing to see so many outbreaks throughout the country why are they lifting restrictions? And um, we missed this last week but it popped up into my attention here from a fellow farm broadcaster and that's an African swine fever outbreak or I shouldn't say outbreak, cases reported near Bulgaria. The Bulgarian Food Safety Agency said last week on August, or excuse me, on October 23rd that it had confirmed a case of African swine fever just in a wild boar, but near its northeastern side of Bulgaria, which is the one that borders Romania. And I think Romania has also now had a case detected Currently, African swine fever has been detected in nine EU countries, Belgium, the Czech Republic, Poland, Estonia, Latvia, Romania, Hungary, and uh, Bulgaria now. So, continuing to see that move across Europe, no cases yet, of course, confirmed for the U.S., but it's still very much so a threat and a concern to uh, U.S. producers. I think that that is all of the news I have for today. So let's jump over into the commodity markets, which of course are sponsored by our partners at the Zaner Group. You can give them a call anytime at 312-277-0050 and have them help you put in a marketing place that makes sense for your operation and for what you need in your day-to-day -day production. Let's start here in the grain markets. Seeing some mixed trade throughout the grains today. We've got the December corn contract down a penny and a half at 363 and a quarter, while the March down a penny and a half as well to end at 375 and three quarters. Soybeans seeing a little bit of strength today. The November contract up five and a half cents to end at 839 even, while the January up four and three quarters cents to end at 851 and three quarters. In the wheat pits, seeing a little bit of a spread here with the December contract up three quarters of a cent at five dollars and a half even. While the March down a penny and a, a penny and a half, excuse me, to end at 5.16 even. Looking over into the livestock markets, we see the October live cattle contract, which is falling off the board, up $1.95 today to end at 115.85, while the December up 15 cents to close at 116.95. In the feeder cattle pit, seeing some strength today, definitely across the board. The November contract up a dollar thirty to end at one fifty three forty seven and a half, while the January up two dollars and twenty five cents to close at one fifty twelve and a half. Lean hog markets definitely not feeling the strength from the live cattle and feeder cattle markets. The December contract down fifty five and a half cents to end at fifty eight forty five, while the February cut a dollar sixty two and a half today to close at sixty five thirty two and a half. And of course, rounding out the day with the dairy markets. The November contract up two cents to close at fourteen seventy nine, while the December up fourteen cents to close at fifteen nineteen. 
Now for today's interview, we're going to be talking to podcast sponsor of Market Mondays, Laura Barber from Lexington, Kentucky, to talk about what she's seeing in the cattle industry. Well, I'm very excited to introduce a friend and sponsor of the podcast, Laura Barber, who is a order buyer for Barber Cattle. Laura, thanks so much for taking the time to chat with us today. Thanks so much for calling. Laura, break it down for us. I can't wait to see what you've got on the table today. (laughs) Well, I know that you're an avid listener of our podcast, so uh, first of all, thanks for that. But Laura, explain to people what you do on a day-to-day basis. What what is a cattle buyer or an order buyer? Well, you start out and you hope that you've got an order for cattle. If not, you start buying cattle that look like they'd be something somebody else wants, so we sit here in the auction and just start picking away at them or looking for what we do have an order for. I mean, you know, just trying to find something we think would make somebody money and buy that and hope that we can sell it. And then the rest of the time, sometimes you just know what somebody wants, you know, like, you know, like your dad or whatever, that I know what they need and they let me know and I start looking. Yes. And full disclosure, Laura, you do buy cattle for my family. So, uh, we have a relationship yeah, outside full disclosure. of Texas. Yeah. <laughs> well, now, Laura, I it's was going to ask. not just horse racing anymore. No, that's true. <laughs> I was going to have to go into a little more detail. Listeners, hear your spot every Monday, mm-hmm. and you're out there buying cattle. You're physically sitting at auctions. Tell us, what's your territory? What What type of auctions are you buying these cattle at? Well, a lot of them are right here out of central Kentucky. You know, that's where we're actually physically sitting at the auction. And, you know, we've still got one going on right now, a little northeast of me here. And they've had a lot of cattle today. But, you know, we also buy cattle. um, We have an Internet sale, and it covers, like, Tennessee, West Virginia, Virginia, the Carolinas, Georgia, you know, wherever. So, and we get on, you know, a lot of, you know, we get on the phone quite a bit and have somebody at these other auctions in other states, you know, to clue us in and see if we want to buy and try bidding that way and getting our cattle, you know, every which way we can. So we stay pretty busy. Of course, yeah. it would help if we had a truck right now, but, you know, that's the way it goes. <laughs> so, yeah, so, okay, so you have clients such as my daughter, whoever. So you're buying cattle for yeah. these people, and then you're shipping them out all over the country. Yeah, sure do. I mean, anywhere from... Texas, Oklahoma, Kansas, Nebraska, Iowa, Illinois, Missouri, you know, Indiana, uh, just where at Colorado, you know, mm-hmm. all over the country, just all well, over. What are you seeing as far as trends go then throughout the country? Are people from all parts of the country wanting the same type of cattle, the same weights, the same breeds? Are, are there any discrepancies based nope. on? Okay. I mean, there is, you know, Kansas generally likes a calf um you'll send some calves into iowa uh a lot of yearling cattle right now are going into iowa um illinois that type of thing something they're going to have through the winter i mean obviously it's in the fall so you've just got a slug of calves just just calf 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 all day long is what it is and you're just putting together loads of calves and you know, some of these feedlots are just qualified to do it i mean you've got to know what you're doing though if you're buying a ball and calf I mean, because it will die on you if you don't know how to take care of one, you know, and uh, it just seems like, you know, the f- certain feedlots just know what they're doing with one, 
the dollars are cheaper per head, that's for sure. But if you if you can't take care of one, you shouldn't even start because it is twenty four seven. Now, Laura, for a lot of our listeners who aren't cattle folks, they're row crop producers, they're commodity traders. I, I had a guy ask me, okay, what is a ballin' calf? Can you can you break that down for folks? <laughs> why, why is the calf ballin', and why is that a high-risk animal? Well, you yanked it off its mother, you know? One day it's on the tit, and the next day it's not. You know, it's got it's to start fending for itself. It's going to ball its head off, for one. And then, you know, they just have a tendency to get sicker quicker than a weanling does. A weanling already knows how to, you know, go about eating and all that. And it just, the health in them is just better. They cost more too. But, you know, there's a reason for it. Because somebody took the time to wean one. So, you know, one day that calf's on the cow and the next day it's not. And it's crying for its mom. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. That makes anybody sad when you get weaned. (laughs) Oh yeah, God. I know. I cry with my mom all the time. It's awful. But <laughs> no, they just have a tendency to. I mean, if you know what you're doing, you can keep them alive. But you, I mean, you really do have to watch them. You know, they have to be doctored, and you know, they just take a little bit more TLC. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Okay, so Laura, I just. I was in Lexington. Actually, I talked about it on the podcast. So, folks, I was visiting Laura, you know, about, uh, oh, not very long ago, three weeks ago or whatever. And I just now kind of figured out the breakdown of how bluegrass stockyards work. Laura, can you explain for our listeners? Because I think it's really unique what you guys are doing there in Lexington, Kentucky, that you have all of these different cattle buying companies coming together in one stockyard, basically. Yeah, that's why it's always kind of been around here. Um, You've got order buyers. It's always been that way, I guess, throughout time. You know, you'd have different commission buyers, and that's what we are. You know, we work off a commission. Um, But they all congregate here. We all have our own little booth, per se, you know, kind of looking over the sale ring, and and that's where, you know, we're bidding against. I mean, you'll have your farmers out here and the bleachers or, you know, what have you, and and everybody just sits here and bids against each other. But remember, like, back in the day, like, if you were ever at the Stockyard restaurant in Nashville, all those little individual rooms were different commission buyers' rooms and things. And that's, you know, it's closed now. But that's what it was, too. I mean, that's just you bring in the comp. Everybody's competing against each other, and that's what makes your market. Darn right. That is what makes a market. You got bidders going in there, and that's how you find a value. And, Laura, I got to ask you. We have seen a lot of strength here with feeder cattle, especially on the cash side. When you're talking to your 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 buyers, are they starting to get concerned? Do they are, they must still be seeing black ink out there six nine months from now. They're seeing it. I mean, uh, they're wanting it. I think I think a lot of it's on speculation of what could be. You know, on some of these big cattle. I mean. Some of them, I think they're, you know, a few dollars still over the break, even all of them. We saw a few that was a little bit cheaper today. Um, we haven't been really able to buy an eight-weight steer and, you know, much below 50, and we were able to do that today. Um, I think it's just where the future's been down a couple of days. I mean, cash trade was up. But, I mean, you know, calves are way too, they're probably too cheap for what they are, from what they were three or four weeks ago. You know, they're they're seven, ten dollars a hundred cheaper than what you know what we were doing a month ago, probably, or even when Delaney was here. Uh, yeah, I mean, what I mean, it has a lot of things to do with it. You know, your all harvest is later. You know, due to all that rain and everything. 
Uh, a lot of people have messy feedlots due to all that rain. Um, I think it's just one thing after another that's cheaping them back, you know, of having time to pull with it. If you're harvesting, you don't want a pot load of calves coming in there, you know, looking at you. You don't have time for it. I think that's kind of what's made it softer a little bit. And, uh, I don't know. We have plenty of them, that's for sure. But uh, mm-hmm. that's the only thing I can figure. And I think on these big cattle, I think that, you know, the board, it's still got its strength for February and April, you know, for these seven and eight weight cattle. Um, Six-weight cattle, they don't look like they're dollaring up too bad. If You know, if you can do something with them, I think they, they look kind of cheap. Uh, that's that's the only thing I can figure that people are thinking that this thing is really going to, you know, bust wide open. You know, they, they talk about cattle packs was down here the other day having a talk in some group, and they were talking about for sure $1.18 on December. I mean, it's touched it, but it hasn't stayed, mm-hmm. so I don't know. Mm-hmm. That's just, you know. You got to get your crystal ball out and polish on it, I reckon. <laughs> well, yeah, and I, I think that leads to a great question, Laura. When you're going in there, I mean, obviously you're talking to your clients. You know what their – maybe not what their break-even is, but you know what they're willing to pay for decent cattle. But how are you gauging when to bid, when not to bid? I mean, walk us through your thought process or maybe what resources you're looking at on a day-to-day basis. Well, there's there's the quality of cattle for one. You know, there's so there's some cattle maybe they're not the prettiest things in the world, but you you can tell by the the way that if they're green enough, you know, if they've only been on grass and not you know not feed and they're that green and they're that stretchy, even if they are colored up, but they're worth the money because you know they're going to feed well. And then of course you know a nice big load of fancy black cattle, uh, fat buyers seem to love them. You know, some people are just destined just to keep those you know that's what they're going to have and that's who they're going to satisfy you know there's a lot of packers that's all they want and they get a premium for them you know and some of them keep them that way but you know, you, you just look you've got to you got to have an eye for it you got to know what kind of cattle you're looking at i mean especially like us putting these calves together and stuff you know they're little they're anything from three to six hundred pound calves and you got to make sure they're not short and they've got the stretch on them to do the gaining that you need them to do to become the yearling that you need it to be you know go ahead and eat and finish so laura you mentioned right there you got to have an eye for it. How did you develop your eye for buying calves? I mean, I love sitting at sale barns. I love bidding on cattle. It's one of my favorite things in the world. I do not have an eye for it. I'm the guy at the end of the sale bidding on the three-legged, one-eyed old cow. Uh, how did you develop it? Well, they gave me a shot, and I learned it. No, I'm kidding. My grandfather uh, started this company, and – I mean, from the time I was, you know, I guess, I guess from the time I was born, I was in a pickup somewhere on some field. They probably left me sitting, you know, those before car seats and seat belts and stuff. But, you know, we just, if you're with one long enough, you'll get an eye for it. You know, when I was real little, my dad would make me come, well, he would make me, I'd be at the sale ring. And he, before they could weigh that calf or, you know, that steer or half or whatever you had, he'd say, now, what do you think that weighs? You know, mm-hmm. go ahead and write it down, see how far off you are. And, you know, he, he kind of gets you to practice like that. And then you get to where you look for stale cattle, you know, because there's people that will trade cattle, believe it or not, and from one barn to the next. And there, you got to look for, like, sticker residue and things like that to go, so you don't get caught on that trap. So you got to look at their eyes and, like, I mean, how long their tails are. I mean, how old are these things anyway? I mean, there's just a lot of things you're looking for all the time. 
Like, wait, you know, what's wrong with this animal? Mm. So that's, that's just kind of, it's, it's experience. It's just sitting here doing it day after day after day. And there's no, I'll, te- I'll take you to school, Mike. You know, just come on down here <laughs> and you go to school. <laughs> I need that. I, I need you to come up and we'll sit at the sale barn and, and I can learn. That'd be helpful. Yeah. Yeah. Well, can we quit buying them three legged one eyed things. Yeah. <laughs> but they're so cheap. <laughs> God, how cheap do they look in the dead pile? They look cheap, too, don't they? <laughs> yeah. They look like a $40 visit by the rendering truck. <laughs> exactly. They still are costing you money. Uh, <laughs> oh, what else can I educate you two on today? <laughs> Laura, tell me about the about the cattle industry in Kentucky as a whole. I mean, you get around, you've, you guys have uh, seven different sale barns all across Kentucky. What are you seeing in the industry as a whole? Well, it's getting that time of year. We're, we're getting a lot of numbers in. Um, I mean, we don't have numbers like Oklahoma and MD. You know, we just don't have that kind of market here. It's different. But we are starting to see them pick up. I mean, you know, you sell 1,400 calves, you know, one at a time. It takes forever. But, I mean, every barn's starting to get them. And because it's just that time of year, you know, when they start pulling them off the cows, you know, you're getting your cows bred back and everything. And it's just typical. It's just always been that way. The falls are always a big time. For, well, we haven't had a frost yet. Not really. Maybe a little light one. It didn't count. We still got plenty of grass. But before the frost comes and kills off your grass, people are going to sell these calves. And, I mean, Kentucky just has a really good calf crop because the same reason we have good racehorses. There's a lot of limestone in the ground here. That makes for a good horse. Mm -hmm. It makes for a good calf. You know, Mm -hmm. just good stock. That's why Kentucky's popular for cattle. Makes for good stock, both on cattle and on people. Laura, we've really enjoyed working with you. If listeners have missed the Barber Cattle Spot, why don't you tell them how can they get a hold of you if they're looking to source some quality cattle? Well, they can call me anytime. It's uh, 859-229-7691. Our email is barbercattle at aol.com. I mean, call us anytime. We'll be glad to talk to you if you just have some questions or just curious if you want to come visit us here. Delaney's been down here, and she knows what it's like. We're more than a stockyard. We're, we have retail. We have clothing store, a gift shop, a restaurant, and various other businesses. You know, lots of things for people to see. So if anybody wants to call or email us and just want to come visit or have a chat, we'd love it. We welcome you. All right. Well, again, a big thank you to Laura Barber. If you uh, have any cattle buying needs, she definitely knows her stuff. I got to go and sit with her a couple weeks ago in Lexington, Kentucky, and I'm just blown away by how quickly she is looking at those cattle, walking into the sale ring, making her decision about whether she wants to bid or not. And it is definitely an art. You definitely have to have an eye, as she mentioned there. And Mike and I apparently don't have that eye yet, but uh, she offered for us to come. And of course, any of you that would like to come and visit Lexington, Kentucky. It's a really, really cool facility. So with that, folks, let us know your thoughts on today's interview with Laura. You can drop us a note on Facebook or on Twitter. Find us at Daily, or you can always shoot us a message through our website. We've got a great contact us form there, and it gets sent directly to my email inbox, and I check those regularly. You can also use the website to listen to old podcast episodes or you can find us on any podcast directory, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, SoundCloud. So let us know your thoughts on the Ag News Daily Podcast. With that, I hope everybody has a spooky and happy Halloween.